listening to Connection Church's podcast. Well, good morning. Hope you're doing well. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. We're thankful for you, thankful for all you do, and uh, just the way you have uh, helped to raise us, and uh, just thankful for you. Um, Moms sacrifice a lot to raise children, and um, just thankful for all the love that they pour into our lives. And I know my, my mother um, has put up with a lot. And uh, so thankful for her and her love and, and this an unconditional love that she has for me and that I know um, so many of you mothers have for your children. And so thankful for that. Um, today we are going to um, continue our letters series uh, that you just saw. And uh, it, it's not exactly a Mother's Day message, but it will help you become a better, better mother, I believe. It'll help you become a better father. It'll help you become a better son or daughter um, or just a person, uh, a follower of Christ specifically. And so um, I want to talk to you actually out of the book of Revelation as we continue to look through these letters uh, that were written to the churches. And we're going to be looking at the church of Smyrna today. And uh, this church was one of the two churches that of these seven letters that uh, there was no reprimand in the letter. And uh, the letter was written to them. There was no reprimand. And it's all about them staying faithful through uh, difficulty, through suffering, through persecution, through trials and tribulations. And so we're going to be looking at that today. Remember, these seven letters were written uh, to, to seven physical churches. But they also were written so that other churches could read them. So this is still applicable to us today. And so this church in Smyrna, we have a lot that we can learn. Uh, we, can, we have a lot that we can compare and contrast ourselves to them and learn a lot about ourselves and about our walk with Christ. And so um, if you will, read with me uh, uh, in the second chapter of the book of Revelation, beginning in verse 8. We're going to read verse 8 through 11. It says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. And here's this statement that's made in all the letters, and that's really become the theme of this uh, series of the letters. Uh, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And it's important for us to get that, grasp that, understand that, because the way we live the Christian life is we listen to God and do what he says. Uh, we read his word and we do what it says. That's the practical Christian life is listening to God, listening to his voice, listening to his word, how he speaks to our hearts, and then doing what God says. And it says, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So let's pray. God, thank you for this morning and for your love this here. Thank you, God, for challenging us with your word. Thank you, Lord, that you would do a great work. I pray that this would not just be um, just another uh, 30 or 40 minutes, God, of, of uh, preaching, but it would come with power. Lord, um, give me courage to say what needs to be said. Give me boldness to be bold. And God, uh, just do a work in people's hearts, Lord, today. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. I want to take a quick poll um, real quick here this morning. How many of you would say you're the type of person that um, your car on the inside, you keep it really, really clean? Like it's almost spotless. Like, no, no there's a guilty party um, right here. How about uh, anybody else that, that, you, that you do this, that you, uh, yeah, there's a few hands. Don't be ashamed. It's okay to be a neat freak. You can be a neat freak. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, you, you keep it spotless. Now, let's be honest. How many of you would say there might be a French fry or two? Uh, yep, there's see some fights happening here. A French fry or two maybe between the seats. There could be a Pop-Tart somewhere in there. You don't really know what might be there. There could be an animal living in there somewhere. You're not really sure. You're not, you're not real sure what all's in there. Um, yeah, yeah, I fall into that camp with three boys. I just gave up um, because they feel that the, the floorboard is the trash can. And so, uh, and you can say, well, preacher, you ought to get your kids under control. And you've never had kids before. So that's how, that's how we know that, right? Um, and so, yeah, my, my truck's not, not uh, spotless on the inside. In fact, when we go through the car rider line, um, taking my kids to school, I'm always a little embarrassed because when the door opens, I never know what's going to fall out, right? Um, baseballs and bottles and all, water bottles um, fall out and, and all kinds of stuff fall out of there. And, uh, and so um, I never know what it's going to be. But this week, somebody decided uh, that they would wash my truck. And so they surprised me with it, blessed me with it. And it was pretty cool. They, they got my, the, my truck was shining. It looked like it was brand new. It was really cool. It was really awesome. Um, I was so glad. And then I opened the door and got in. It was still filthy, right? <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I got to look and I was like, man, you know, it's really clean on the outside, but on the inside, it was still really dirty. Nothing had changed on the inside of the truck. And, and what I began to realize and the illustration, the reason I tell you that is because that's a good description of the city of Smyrna. Um, it looked really good on the outside, but on the inside, Man, it was full of immorality. It was full of sexual immorality. It was full of idol worship, something that was really big for them in this city was imperial worship where they would actually be made to worship the emperor. They would have to burn incense to the emperor. If not, then they could be found guilty of uh, treason. And so um, when you look at this on the outside, it was one of the most beautiful cities in Asia. But when you look at it from the inside, it was very dirty and, and, and immoral. Um, there was a lot of uh, idol worship that went on there. And so like my truck, it looked good outside on the inside, still dirty. And, and so that's the city of Smyrna. The reason I tell you that is because it's important for us to see that the way this city operated brought a lot of hardships on the Christians. The, the, Smyrna, the church in Smyrna was a church that was a suffering church. They, they, they suffered because of their faith. See, what would happen is when they would not burn incense to the emperor, they would be persecuted and persecution would come against them. When you read in here and it says that Jesus set, speaks to them and says, I know your afflictions. That's what he's talking about is these persecutions that are coming against them. And so because of their faith, because they wouldn't burn incense to um, the emperor, because they wouldn't worship him and call him their Lord because they already had a Lord, um, they became persecuted. And the Jews were kind of in the background um, doing, uh, slandering them, as the Bible says, talking about them, making up rumors and, and making them out to be people that they weren't so that it sort of stoked the fire um, of, of this persecution, so to speak. And, and so this was something that was very common. There was one individual, the Bishop of Smyrna, um, his name was Polycarp. He was actually burned alive at the stake. Um, and he was burned alive because of his faith. 
the, the, the way the story went is that basically they told him that if he didn't recant his faith, if he didn't deny Jesus, that they were going to, to basically kill him, feed him to the wild animals or kill him. Um, and so they decided to burn him at the stake. Uh, and when they tried to get him to uh, deny his faith, his quote was that, you know, I've been serving him for 86 years and he's done me no wrong. You know, why now would I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And so they lit the fire. The Jews were the ones gathering the wood. They're like, yeah, let's do this. And then they burned him. Uh, the, the flames were blowing away from him as it was burning. So someone came uh, with a spear and finally killed him so he wouldn't suffer in the flames anymore. And I don't know about you, but when I read something like that, I hear about that. I hear about this event that happened um, not long after the church had been established in the second century AD. Well, I realized um, and am challenged in my heart by this question of how would I respond to that? How would I react to that? Would I remain faithful in that situation? Or would I somehow stumble and fall? And, and when we look at this and we look at the life that Polycarp lived, this was the common life for these people in Smyrna. This persecution, this ridicule. My question to you would be, how would you respond? How do you respond to persecution today? See, they were being persecuted. It says in the Bible here in verse nine, it says that they were, um, he knows their poverty. See, they were being persecuted financially because uh, they couldn't do business with the pagans and with the Jews. The Jews and pagans, they wouldn't have anything to do with them. They wouldn't do business with them. They wouldn't trade with them. Um, so they were suffering financially. They wouldn't do shady business deals. So they were suffering financially. It wasn't poverty just due to like a loss of a job from no, for, for no reason. It was poverty due to loss of employment, loss of, of the ability to trade, loss of the ability to sell and buy because of their faith in Christ. Um, you look at it and keep reading. It says the slander of those who say they are Jews. And, and so when you look at that, they were being slandered. They were being talked about. They were being made out to be people that they weren't. They were suffering persecution and more intense persecution because these Jews were coming and making allegations about them that weren't true. When you keep reading and see, those are two things they've already been going through. And Jesus says this, he says, but here's the bad news. It's going to get worse. And so he says, I know those who slander you, the, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. In verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. He says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And so he's saying now, not only are you going to be poor um, from a material standpoint, um, not only are they going to slander you, but now Satan's coming and he's going to put some of you in prison. But the reason that these people were able to stay faithful is because they knew that even if they put us in the darkness of a prison, the light of Christ is still going to shine in my life. And so they were staying faithful through this. And this is what he is already beginning to um, applaud them for, to, to, to to really give them praise for what the way they were living and the way they were holding on. And then it goes on and says to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And he says, be faithful even to the point of death. And he even tells them some of you are going to die because of your faith. And we see that with Polycarp. We see that with people. And here's the thing we need to realize is this happening today. It's happening right now. People are dying for their faith around the world. This is not something that just takes place or took place hundreds of years ago. This is something that's taking place now. Christians being martyred, Christians being killed just because of their confession of faith in Christ. And so we need to take that seriously. We need to pray for these people who are being persecuted. And we need to ask ourselves the question, what would I do in the face of that? 
And then we need to ask this question, how am I being persecuted in my life? And I want to take a little bit different look at this because the thing that became um, my challenge during the week as I study was that the Bible tells us specifically, Jesus tells us specifically that in this world we'll have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. He tells us specifically in John 15, 20, he says that as they persecuted me, so they will persecute you. Um, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, anyone who seeks to live a godly life is going to suffer harm. He's going to suffer persecution. He tells us that. And so we, we see that throughout the Bible, persecution is not something that's, that might come. Persecution for the sake of following Christ is something that will come. We should pretty much expect it to happen. That when you do something for God and you're pursuing Christ and you're going after Jesus and you're doing the work of God, that persecution is going to come. And so I began to ask myself that question and, and really analyze my life and, and say, where have I been persecuted? Have I been persecuted? It'd be easy to just say, well, I'm, I, I've suffered this or I've suffered that, but not all suffering is persecution. And I wanna show you this chart that we have that shows different reasons that we suffer. For one, it's a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. We live in a world that, that's, that's been marred by sin. On the other side, you see other people's choices. Sometimes people make choices that harm us. You see at the top left, our own choices. Many times we make choices that harm us. And then you see persecution. And when we suffer persecution, it causes suffering. But I don't want you to confuse other types of suffering with persecution. Then we got another slide that breaks that down further. From persecution, there's different places it comes from. We see in here that Satan is going to be one who persecutes them and puts them in prison. Many times he uses people to do that. So we've got the demonic and Satan. That word should be from, not fear. From without. Um, so outside of the religious circle, outside of the church, um, there is persecution that comes. And then we have the one of from within. And persecution also comes from within the church. You wouldn't think so, but I've never seen anything like the church that likes to devour their own people. I've had more persecution come from within the church than I have from, with, from outside the church. I feel like that may change in our day, but the thing I can tell you is, so far, I've had more come from inside than from the outside. Anytime you do something for God, you're going to face persecution. You're gonna face struggles. My question to you is, how are you being persecuted? Well, let me ask you, put it this way. What's your faith costing you? Because Jesus is very clear that, that, that just, if we're following him, these things are gonna come, these things are gonna happen. I'm not saying we go looking for him. I'm just saying it's a byproduct of living for Christ. How many of us are being affected by that? How many of us are being affected in our life by um, by, by people coming against us because of the way we operate our business. We won't do certain things and so they don't like it the way it is, but we know that it's the way that God wants us to operate. How many of us have relationships that, that it costs us relationships because when we came to Christ, we began to go one way and other people began to go the other way. And you know, these people are saying things and they've even said things to you because of your faith in Christ. How many of us have, have had uh, relationships that, 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 like dating relationships that had to end because of that? And because of that, you took some backlash. Again, business decisions and things that you uh, couldn't do, missed opportunities or opportunities that wouldn't come your way because people didn't want to do them with you because of your faith. 
How many of us have, have seen things like that take place? How about reputation? How many of us have, have had our reputation um, somewhat tarnished because of our faith? Not in a bad way, like we wouldn't be have integrity, but in a way where people are like, well, that's the old Jesus freak, right? Always wanting to talk about Jesus, always doing that. I'm not ten, saying you gotta be the weirdo, right? I'm just telling you, like, how many of us have ever faced any kind of ridicule? How many of us have, have, have guarded our dignity to try not to lose it? And here's the thing, church, we're in a season, we're in a time like no other where we need to lose our dignity and begin to proclaim the gospel. We need to begin to be people who are bold and courageous, filled with the Holy Spirit, who, who if it costs us financially, so be it. If it costs us relationships, so be it. Whatever I've got to do, I'm not telling you to become a religious bigot, right? What I'm telling you, though, is whatever it costs us, we've got to count the cost. This is, flies in the face of the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. But this is the true gospel. This is what the Bible teaches us. That it's not all going to be a cakewalk. It's, it's something that we're gonna come against. The good news is that Jesus gives us everything we need to survive. He gives us everything we need to hold faithful. He gives us his Holy Spirit to give us the strength to push through. And see, here's the other thing I know about us as people. We don't like suffering. We don't like to feel that way. We don't like people to slander us. We don't like people to talk about us. We don't like people to, 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 to even poke and prod at us. And so this is what we typically do. We, we try, to try to deflect the suffering. We try to deflect the persecution. And the number one way that I believe we do this is summed up in one word, and that's called compromise. I believe that we begin to compromise the truth and we begin to, to not stand for the truth because it's easier to not stand for the truth than it is to stand for the truth and be persecuted because of it. And so I want you to see that, I want you to understand that because here's the reality. If we don't stand for, for the truth, then it begins to filter into every area of our life and compromise becomes a way of living. Compromise becomes the way that we go about life so that we compromise in all areas of our life, so that we compromise in relationships, so that we compromise uh, in our marriage it, by, by, by not even being faithful to our wife, not much, much less being faithful to God, being faithful to um, the rest of our family, being faithful to our job, not even being faithful to our spouse. And I can tell you, I'm tired of seeing families torn apart because we've got our eyes on the wrong thing and we're not, we're not pursuing the right thing and we're causing destruction in our lives and the lives around us and we compromise and I'll give you a definition of compromise that would be this to deny the right thing denying the right thing so that you can do the thing that is most convenient or most self-gratifying and many times we look at that and we are so temporary short-sighted that we go after the thing we compromise the truth we turn away from what's right. We, we compromise our purity because listen, this compromising the truth filters through everything. We compromise our purity. It's no longer important to, to, to put sex within the context of marriage. We compromise our marriage. It's no longer important if I just have sex with my spouse. We compromise all our, our business relationships. We compromise a little lie if it gets me ahead is okay. We compromise the truth and it begins to work through all areas of our life. Nobody ever woke up in the morning and said, today I think I'm gonna wreck my whole family. 
It was a slow process that began with compromising the truth. Because it just sometimes seems like that's easier. Are we gonna be a church? Are we gonna be people who stand for the truth of the gospel? Are we willing to stand? Or are we compromising that? How do we compromise with our sin? How, do, do, how many have secret sin in their life? And we've compromised that. We, we've just somehow rationalized that secret sin and somehow we think nobody will ever find out. Here's the big thing, God knows. God knows. And here's the thing, God doesn't want to kill you because of it. He wants to heal you from it. God's desire is not to beat you down, it's to lift you up. But so many are weighted down with this secret sin that needs to be done away with. We walk around with it at the core of our being and it eats us up from the inside out. We need to finally come to a place where we'll let the light of God shine on it. See, here's the reality. If we're not confessing to God and confessing to someone else who's going the same direction, another Christian, if we're not confessing and that's not a part of our life, then I can tell you we're compromising. So my question to you is, what are you compromising? How, have you, how has somehow the truth in your life been compromised? And now it's filtering to other areas. And what are we gonna do? Are we gonna be a church that, that just gets watered down? See, my question would be, are we gonna be a church that's willing to tell sinful humanity that they're sinners? Are we gonna be a transparent church that says, not only are you sinners, but we're sinners? Are we gonna be a church that is willing to say there's no way to save ourselves in a society where the individual is elevated? Are we willing to say, guess what? You can't do anything to save you. Are we willing to stand on that truth that we need a savior and God provided one in Christ? Are we willing to, to tell people there's no way to life except through a bloody cross? Are we willing to love them with a love that's unconditional? Are we willing, listen, are we gonna stand for the truth or are we just gonna water it down so that we can all get along? I don't believe that's what God's called us to. I don't think he's called us to do, just go, like I said, and be religious bigots. It's, it's not a call to be judgmental. It's a call to become more like Christ. And the thing I want you to see is the more you become like Christ, the more godly you become, the more godly you become, the more of a loving person you become. And we're able to do this through Christ. We're able to share the truth in love. And our actions speak just as loudly as our words and our words speak just as loudly as our actions. But we can't do it by compromising the truth. See, if we really believe the truth that people we care about around us are dying and going to hell and spending eternity separated from God, then we will become more urgent about sharing the message. But I wonder if we really believe what we say we believe. Yesterday, we went to a tournament, a baseball tournament. Both of my older two boys played baseball in a tournament in Jessup. And, and we went down there and you know, it's about an hour from our house. And so we made the ride, get there. Um, we pay about $35 for uh, them to play. And then we, we end up uh, spending money at concessions. It becomes a, a, a big deal when you go to these baseball tournaments. And so they had already charged an entry fee per team. They had charged uh, money per person to get in. They had charged money for food. Um, they had charged us for basically everything you could think of. And then we finally, we go from one, set of fields to the other. And as we're walking in, the girl at the desk or at the table there said, um, y'all need to pay. I'm like, well, we already paid. 
And she's like, well, where's your red ticket? I was like, I don't have a red ticket. Nobody gave me a red ticket. Uh, I, don't, I don't have one. She's like, well, you need a red ticket. I don't have a red ticket, but I pay. And I could feel, you know that moment where you know like this is not gonna go well? I could feel that. I, I don't know if it was discernment or what, but I was like, this isn't gonna go well. And I could feel my blood pressure rising and the blood going to my head. And, and I was like, man, we've already paid. I've got a son playing 8U. I've got a son playing 12U. We've already paid. You know, please just let us go in. It's 90, you know, and hell in here is so hot, you know, and please, please let us go. And, and she's like, and to me, she got an attitude. To Susan, I had an attitude. I don't know. <laughs> and so I finally, I just said, this is ridiculous. You know, we paid all this money and you won't even pay anybody to have a scoreboard on. This is, this is terrible. I, I'm not having this. And so finally, um, Susan's like, go down there and see if they've got our tickets. So I was like, all right. So I'm walking down the sidewall, just my, my mad. And, and I get down there, they don't have our ticket. I come back and, and, and they don't have it. And, and, and I'm literally at this point where I'm like, I'm about to flip this table. I'm getting so angry. And then I thought about it. I was like, if I did flip the table, I've got a scripture for it, right? I'm thinking, I'm thinking John chapter 2, 15, it says, so he made a cord of or a whip of cords. At least I didn't do that. I didn't take my belt off and start waylaying people. So he made a whip out of cords. He drove all of them from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And so I'm like, I, I think I would be in line with the Bible, right? If I overturned the tables, I was angry. It was just so frustrating. But see, here's the thing. In order for me to do that, I've got to take that scripture completely out of context, don't I? Yeah. I mean, because I, I've got to, that, that even in and of itself is compromising the truth. For me to take that out of context, and so many times we do that with God's truth, is we compromise it. We take it out of context. We use scripture in ways it wasn't intended to be used so that it can justify our position and our desires and in who we are and how we want to live. Listen, there's things in the Bible, sometimes I wish it was written in pencil so I could go in and take out some of the things I don't like. But the reality of it is it's all God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that it's all God breathed, that it's all useful, and we need to accept it as that and realize that and understand that every word that is written is written for our good and God's glory and so we need to come to that place of seeing it and understanding it and, and, and desiring to just become obedient to what we hear the Lord saying and not to compromise what God tells us and what he's leading us to do and so this compromise is a big deal what do we do if we see and we realize in our own life that there's an area of compromise what if we realize that I'm compromising my time with God? I'm not, not spending time with God, I'm not talking about doing a dutiful devotion. I'm talking about spending real time with the Lord, listening to his voice, praying, not to do a checklist of prayers for things you want to happen, but listening and seeing what he wants to happen. How, 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 what if we realize we're compromising? The first thing I would tell you is we need to come to a place where we decide who we wanna live for. Do I wanna live for me or do I wanna live for Jesus? Do I want to live for me or do I want to live for God? If I want to live for Jesus, then I begin to listen to his voice and do what he says. 
become obedient and I ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to well up inside. We do what Paul told Timothy and we fan into flame that which we receive by the laying on of hands. In other words, the spirit of God and we fan it into flame and beginning to, to let him work through us because in and of ourselves we're weak, but God can do it through us. And so we begin to call on his name. We decide who we want to live for. We begin to listen to what he says and do what he says. We become obedient to the spirit of God and his leading in us. And when we begin to face these things, when we realize there's things in our life that I need to confess, there's things in my life I need to let go of, there's things in my life I need to face head on, then it can become scary. I believe as Paul's encouraging them, I think he can encourage us with the same uh, image that he's portraying and that he's painting for them. In verse 10, it says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Listen, when we begin to face compromise, we begin to, to look head on at the sin in our lives. Sometimes it does. It seems like it gets worse before it gets better. But the reality of it is that Jesus tells us, don't be afraid of what you're gonna suffer. Remember John 16, 33, take heart for he's overcome the world and anything that could come against us. And as I look at this text, I see reasons that we should take heart. I see reasons that we should not be afraid. I see reasons that we should be confident in Christ to take our next step of faith in following him. And if you look at it, I just want to read through it real quick and we're going to be done. It says, these, were, these are the words of him who is the first and the last. The first thing I'd like to tell you is that he is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega and that he is eternally unchanging. God doesn't change. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's the good news for us. He's eternally unchanging and so are his attributes. It means he's not gonna tell us he will love us forever today and then tomorrow get up and want to smite us, right? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever and we can have confidence in that. It goes on and said, who died and came to life again. So he's the first and the last. And then he died and came to life again. See, not only is he eternally unchanging, but he is eternally victorious. He overcame death. He overcame sin. He overcame the grave. And now his promise to us is the same as he promises them in verse 11, where he says, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And so we see that we too can be eternally victorious because of his victory that he won on our behalf. And we can take courage and face these things. We can take courage and know that he's working. Let's keep reading. It says, who died and came to life again. And then he says, I know your afflictions. He says, I know. We talked about this last week that Jesus knows. He knows where we are. He knows the troubles in our heart. He knows the suffering that we've been through. And the great news about it is this unchanging, victorious God is in the midst of it with us. He's not removed from us. He is in it with us to help us get through it, to help us come out on the other side and so that the Bible will be made true, that he works all things to the good of those who are called according, who love him and are called according to his purposes, not meaning that what we want want to work out, but what's for our good and for his glory. And so he's working those things. He knows where we are. He knows the affliction. He knows the suffering. He knows the challenge. Then he goes on and says, I know your afflictions. And he says, your poverty. And he says, yet you are rich. And what he's telling us is he, that we're rich in spiritual things. We're rich in the heavenly things. And see, he provides us with an eternal perspective. We're so temporary minded. We make temporary decisions on things that are gonna affect us for the rest of our lives and even in eternity. But he gives us this eternal mindset 
that we're able to um, understand that these things, these temporary things, everything we see, it's not gonna last. And so we make eternal uh, mind, we make decisions off of an eternal mindset, not off of this temporal mindset. And Jesus helps us to see that. It goes on and says, I know I know the, the, the afflictions, I know your poverty, yet you are rich. He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. If you ever start a church, that's not what you'd want to call it, a synagogue of Satan. Um, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. He's saying, listen, this suffering, it's got a purpose. And God has an eternal purpose for our lives. This unchanging, victorious God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. Nothing comes into our lives that hasn't passed through his sovereign hand. And we ought to see and know that anything and everything can be used for his glory and even for our good. As we approach these things, we approach them with the confidence of knowing that God is working some purpose in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. And he goes on, I tell you that the devil put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. We see the sovereignty of God in this. Why? Because he set the limits on how long this was gonna last. He said it's gonna last for 10 days and we see that God is eternally in control. This God that is the first and the last, who is eternally unchanging, who's victorious, he is completely in control. This God who has a purpose for your life, he's victorious and he has a, he has a purpose and a plan that he's working out. The very end of that says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life is, would be like him saying, I'll give you eternal life or I'll let you eat from the tree of life. In other words, I'll give you eternal life with me, this crown of life so that we can have life eternally together with him. And I want you to see the last thing there is that he's eternally generous because it says that he will give us eternal life. How? Because he gave us himself. And so we see the generosity of God in giving himself to us. And as we look at that, man, it should be a humbling thing. It should be a, a thing that we come with an attitude uh, of really of gratitude to. We, we should be overwhelmed by that. We should see it as being one of the most incredible things we could ever see is that God gave himself so that he could redeem us from sin. What an awesome thing that God gives us the crown of life simply by faith in his son, simply by faith in the one who came to earth, lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, took the punishment that we should have taken because of our sin that separated us from God. Went into a grave, three days later came out becoming victorious over sin and death, the grave, and now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. See the slanderer in this text, as he speaks about it being a synagogue of Satan, he knows who's behind it. And see Satan comes in and he tries, he, he's known as the father of lies, the, devil actually can mean slander or accuser and he wants to accuse but for those who are in Christ we have one who intercedes and we have one who intercepts and those accusations they can't even make it to the father because Jesus has taken them upon himself and I wonder today if you've ever come to that place I wonder today what are we what are we what are we 
how are we being persecuted? I wonder today if we're really living for God. I wonder today if we're really standing for the truth. I wonder today if we're willing to stand for the truth. I wonder if we really believe what we say we believe. And, and today I wanna ask you, you know, are you here and you, maybe you've, you've been around church so you can be around Jesus but never have Jesus in your heart. You can, you can know people who are Christians but never really become a Christian. You can go in and out of church, but never really have a relationship with Jesus. We can take communion and go through baptismal waters, but the reality of it is if we've never come to a place of saying yes to Jesus and his plan for our life, saying yes to him as the Lord of our life and, the sa and yes, as I believe in him as the savior of my life. And we've yet to come into the life that he wants. As I said earlier, the only way to life is through a bloody cross because it's only that cross that paid the debt of our sin. And so I wanna know if you're here today, you don't know Christ, you never said yes to him. We saw two people go from death to life in the first service by putting their faith in Jesus and surrendering to him as their Lord. I believe that there's some people here today who the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart. Are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to receive this gift of salvation from this generous God who offers it? He's generous, he gives it. All you do is say yes and surrender to him as Lord. Yes, he's my savior. And then we can begin to experience what life is, what it means to know Christ. So if that would describe you, that today is the day of salvation, it's the day that you come into a relationship with God through Christ, it's the day that you accept the payment for your sin through Jesus, then this is what I wanna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you, would you slip your hand up in the air really high so we can see it, so we can celebrate with you. This is not something to be ashamed of, it's something to celebrate because it's people going from death to life in Christ. Today you would say, yes, today is the day of salvation for me and I'm going to accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Would you just raise your hand, stick it up in the air, your heart's probably beating 100 miles an hour and you know that today is the day for you. Do you say yes today? like eternity, doesn't it? All right. Then here's what I want to propose. I want to propose for the rest of us as we sing this last song and close out the worship service that we sincerely search our heart and more importantly allow God to search our heart that we would come to a place in those areas of compromise and sin we come to a place of repentance and that we would come and get on our knees, maybe even on our face, and allow the Lord to minister to our hearts. Maybe we need to come and get on our face and ask the Lord to stir up his spirit in us. Maybe we need to come and yield something to him. Maybe we need to come and just let him speak over us, his words of love and grace into some dark area of our life. I would encourage you, if you do have that area of your life, find someone and talk with them. Our prayer team will be here. They'll pray with you. They'll talk to you.
but the thing I want you to see, the thing I want you to do is allow God to search your heart and then you respond. Remember, listen to God and do what he says. I'm gonna pray, then they're gonna lead us in this song and I'm asking you to respond to God the way he prompts your heart to respond. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your love and grace in our lives. Father, I pray that we would listen to you and do what you say, God. Let us not be a church that would water down the gospel or water down the truth, but let us proclaim it in love and God, let us proclaim it in truth. Let us stand firmly on it. God, we know that when we dig deep into your word, that we can build our lives on a firm foundation. And I pray that that would be our heart. That would be what we do. Lord, now give us the courage to respond the way you lead us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.